Let's pray. Father, thank you. You alone are worthy to sing to. You alone are worthy to even sing about in this way. And you're not a God who's far off. You're a God who's near. You're not a God that is unknowable. You're a God that's knowable. You're not a God who is confusing to us. You're, you're a God who we are able to understand through the, the scripture. So thank you, God, that we today can open it up and not just learn about King David and the special life that you granted him, but we can learn most of all about you. So no matter where each person is, God, today in this room, including myself, we're all in different places of the journey. We're all in different, different parts of, of life and stages of life. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here in this place to reach, to minister, to encourage, to teach, whatever it is, God, that you would have for each of us. May you do that this day. Thank you, God, for this time, and uh, may you certainly have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for being here. You can have a seat. I don't know about you, but I love the Olympics. Anybody else? In fact, my favorite, my favorite part every single night is the is the ceremony where they, you know, will celebrate the gold medal, and certainly silver and bronze are celebrated as well. But I kind of feel bad for them. They're like, you don't play their song, do you? I'm just singing the Star Spangled Banner a lot, you know? <laughs> I mean, because that's just what's happened. But I, I, it, it's an incredible, an incredible time to, to celebrate and watch these amazing, ridiculously amazing athletes, isn't it? And I, I lose, I guess some would say, I think I lose my, my man card every night about 9.30 p.m. as I'm like shedding a tear with the gold medalist each night. Something happens inside of me. No, really, it really does happen. I'm like, am I, am I really crying? I don't even know them. What am I so emotional about? I think what I love about it so much is that they work so, so, so hard. I mean, so hard. Not that you and I don't work hard, but you're looking at these young, amazing athletes that have sacrificed so much. And you know what? The, the person that was in last place sacrificed just as much. And often the one that won the gold, they're so incredibly humbled at the joy of being on that podium and the joy of it paying it all off, right? And some other athletes that got last place, they would walk away with a similar joy. I can't say the same joy, a similar joy saying, you know what? I'm in the Olympics. And so this morning as I turned on the television for uh, the boys for a few moments, as I'm looking over the notes, even preparing for today, I turned it on, and, and it was on NBC, because it was on NBC last night when I turned the television off, and the beginning of the women's marathon was on. If you know anything about Rio, it kind of gets hot, right? And I'm looking at these, at these ladies in their first mile, and I'm like, uh-oh, they don't look good. <laughs> this is not going to be good. They were already 30 seconds behind their split, right? After a mile one, I'm like, this is not going to be good. But, but they persevered. And so much of the Olympics I love is, is about perseverance and is about working and fighting hard. I tell you what, it's an incredible thing. And I think it correlates a lot to even this series as we talk about uh, King David. Last week, we said that in order to have a heart like his, because the Bible describes this king, this great king, as a man after God's own heart. What an incredible way to be described, right? Could you imagine God describing you and saying, she has a heart after me? Could you imagine God saying, he has a heart after me? This doesn't mean they're perfect, right? In fact, last week, I started this time off together, and I asked you a question. Could you imagine someone coming up to you and saying, do you, can, 
consider yourself to be a holy person? That was the opening question. Do you consider yourself, imagine how awkward that question could be, right? I think for anybody, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you're a pastor like myself or not a pastor, that's an awkward question. I think if someone's real with themselves, most people would say, well, I mean, holy, I'm not holy, no, I'm not perfect, right? Most people being honest with themselves would, would say, listen, I am far from perfect, right? I am far from holy. Even though some would say, I'm, I'm trying to live a good life, but no, if you're looking for someone perfect, that's certainly not me. Well, the Bible in Romans chapter 3 puts us all in the same playing field. The Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's only one that's perfect. There's only one person that has lived a life that is without fault, and that is without sin, and that's God himself. And Jesus in the flesh lived a perfect life. None of us are perfect. So we looked into the life of David last week, and we looked to say he not only after becoming king, several years after becoming king, committed adultery, but went to the extent of killing the woman Bathsheba's husband named Uriah, killing him in battle and trying to be deceptive and cover it up. Killing him in battle, and not only did he kill Uriah by putting him on the front lines of battle, he then took Bathsheba to be his own wife. How could this guy be a man after God's own heart? We're looking into the life of David, and each week in the month of August, we're going to be looking at a different psalm. Last week was Psalm 51, and today is Psalm 63. So that's where we will be in just a few moments as we read together. But guys, David was far, King David, a man after God's heart. He was far from perfect like you and I. He was far from without fault. But still, God looked at him and said, he loves me. He wants me. And God notices that. So the question for all of us today is, how can we have a heart like David? How can we have a heart like David? That's a little bit easier of a question to answer than how can I have a heart like God? Many of us, if we are believers and we're Christians, we would say, you know what? I want to be like Jesus. He was the model and we are actually called to be like him, to give our lives and, and not be selfish, to serve others and meet needs rather than to take for ourselves. But being like Jesus, just like him, will never going to happen, right? Can I get an uh-huh? That ain't never going to happen. And yeah, those of you that really just belted it out, you really know, right? You're like, yeah, I'm going to try, but I ain't never going to get there. But being like David is a little bit easier. Being like David's a little bit easier. Even this week, and a guy called me and said, listen, I, I didn't do what David did, but I got major life problems. I said, you know what? We all do. Tell me about yours, I'll tell you about mine. No marriage is perfect, no relationship is perfect, right? But we can connect with David because even though he was not perfect, God recognized him. God saw him and he saw his heart. And Psalm 63 is an incredible psalm that will allow us to look into his life a little bit further. Before we read it, I want to give you a little bit of the context. King's da King David's kingship was not easy. In fact, it was an incredible blessing that King David got to experience being king during a very expansive time in the history of Israel. One of the challenges that he faced early on was that God was going to make a promise and fulfill a promise through David that he would be powerful, one of the most powerful kings to ever live. In fact, God was setting the stage for his son, who would eventually be king, King Solomon. 
King Solomon was the wealthiest king ever to live. And in fact, some people compare King Solomon's wealth to the equivalent of those who are wealthy today and say, the wealthiest man or woman alive can't touch the share that King Solomon had of the wealth of the entire earth. So God was pouring out his blessing through the Israelites. But you know, listen, that doesn't happen without war. You often don't win more land without war. It's not just a real estate agreement, right? Hey, listen, if I pay you X amount of money, will you deed me this land? It didn't happen that way, right? They went off to war, and whoever won took the land. Not were they just acquiring land, but they were acquiring evil. There were people out to kill King David. King David spent much of his life wandering and running. He wasn't sitting on the throne and listening to people come down the throne and say, hey, how, how'd it go today? right? No, no, people were after his life because his people were after other countries and other cities taking them. And there's a lot of reasons as to why and the evil that was going on in different places and so many different things happening. But here's the deal. David often ran for his life. And in fact, a lot of the Psalms, you'll see some of your Bibles may say this. It will say a Psalm of David giving him credit, right? And then it will also say, as this one says, when he was in the wilderness, right? Some of your Bibles may say when he was in the wilderness of Judah. He wasn't in the palace. Context is important, right? Sometimes when you listen to one of your favorite songs, you're like, man, this is a good song, and you relate to it. But when you think about the authorship of the song, you're wondering what in the world are they going through, right? There's some heavy stuff there. So the context of this song, he is running for his life again because there were so many countries, cities, Men, powerful kings outside of Israel and Judah that had one mission in their life, stop King David. Because if we kill King David, we stop Israel. But God was with King David. He was far from perfect, but God was with him. Turn your Bibles, if you have it, to Psalm 63. Um, If you want to follow along, it will also be on the screen behind me. Before we get into the the three points I want to share with you today, I'm just going to read the psalm in its entirety. And we just keep in mind the context. He's in the wilderness of Judah, running for his life, hoping to make it to Monday morning because people are after him. Starting in verse 1, he says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But for those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword, and they shall be apportioned for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. It's an incredible psalm because it gives us a glimpse into what was happening inside of his heart. 
There are other Psalms right here, even nearby 63, where you can see that David's frustrated with God because he's in, he's in the middle of war. People are after him. And you've had some of these thoughts. I've had many of these thoughts. Like, God, where are you? Like, I, be, I believe in you, but come on. If you're real, why would you allow this to happen to me? In fact, we have a series um, coming up this fall that uh, Pastor Chris will be leading through really about the evil in this world. Why does God allow these things? Like we have these justice-filled moments. We're like, okay, I believe that God is just right now. I believe he's fair, but why in the world would this be happening? There were times when King David would say that, God, are you not watching over my life? You promised me this kingship. You promised me peace and prosperity and blessing. And look at what's happening. But that's not what David does right here. David's in a good moment. We have some bad moments and we have some good moments. David had a lot of bad moments. And you read some parts of the Psalms. I could give you some of the numbers too. You could read some Psalms and go, whoa, I don't think you can say that to God. Right? He's like, he's, you can almost see his fist up to God. If you read the book of Job, the story about Job, some of the things that Job said are recorded in the Bible. You're like, hold up. Like, I don't think you can say that. If I said, hey, thanks for being here at Encounter Church today. Let me pray. And I start venting to God. You're going to be like, whoa, it's time to leave, right? I don't know what this guy's talking about or what he's going through, but I don't think that's right. Some of the Bible, as I said last week, is very R-rated. When your children start reading and they pick up the Bible, you might say, uh, make sure you turn to the Gospel of John. There's just some good stories there, right? I mean, so much of the Bible is filled with strife and struggle and our ratedness, right? We think what we see on the television sometimes is bad. The Bible's full of hard, hard moments and incredibly difficult stories. And the Bible is full of people that are frustrated with God because they don't know what God is doing. But here in this moment, we can learn so much from David's heart. In his time of turmoil, which is what we're going to be talking about today, in his time of turmoil, what did he do? The question for you is, what do you do in the time of turmoil, right? But in David's time of turmoil, first, he sought the Lord with his whole heart. Anybody confess with me that they've been in turmoil before? Anybody? Yeah? Now, earlier you said, uh-huh. But now there's just some slow hands going up, right? Anybody confess that they've been in a time of turmoil? Well, it's in the past, it's in the present, and it'll be in the future. Because we live in a fallen place where there is no perfection. There aren't many Cinderella stories, right? This is a hard life. It's a hard world. But God's made promises, and we get to get a glimpse of that in the Scripture. In David's time of turmoil, he sought the Lord with his whole heart. Look at verse 1. He says this, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Earnestly, I long for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. You know what he declared here? I need God. I need him. Like That's just what we, what we see. We see his heart saying, I need God. And let me tell you, no matter who you are, where you are, whether you have gone to church before on a regular basis, or this is... Maybe your first time going to church on a regular basis. No matter if you consider yourself a Christian, one who believes in Jesus Christ, or one who is exploring the faith, let me tell you, someone that comes to a place in their life that says, I need help, is half the battle. Would you agree? That's just, that's just struggle number one. As a, as a student pastor, I was a student minister for about nine years before going into a different role at my previous church. And I would often have um, moms call me, every now and then dads, and, and, and they would just 
they would just say, listen, can you help my son? Well, tell me what he's going through. And they would describe it. And my first question, you can only imagine why I would ask this, do they think they need help? You know what the, the answer was often? No, I can't help them. You won't talk to them? No, I won't. I'm willing to, but I'm telling you, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna distance themselves further from you as mom if you make them. Someone who knows that they're sick goes to the doctor. Someone who's hungry eats. Someone who's thirsty will find a drink. And you push them because they need help. And I agree with you. I, I hate that. It sucks that they're going through that, whatever that was. But if they don't think that they need help, they're not going to get it. They're not. Rachel and I, um, years ago, almost um, about nine years ago now, <clears throat> was approached by a mom in the, 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 the church where I, I worked, and she told me about her daughter's issues, and I knew, I knew about them very well. She was in and out of jail, had some drug abuse issues and uh, theft and you name it. And um, I said, I, I want to help her. I do want to help her, and I'm going to make an offer to her because she really needed help. She really wanted help. Like She would say, I need help, but she just kept going through the same things, right? It's what we all do, right? Not just pointing fingers to a drug abuse or drug addict, right? But just so that's what we all have this similar pattern. I want help, but I keep doing this. I need help, and I don't know what to do. I knew she knew I needed help with what she would say. So I called her up one day, and I said, listen, um, would you be willing to live with uh, me and Rachel? And I'm going to give you 30 days. I just want you to live with us. And she actually said, yeah, I would love that. And so when she moved in, as you would imagine, we set some pretty strict ground rules. I said, 30 days. And here are the rules. You don't leave these walls, period. You can go in the backyard where you can get some fresh air, but you don't leave these walls. You know why she needed those boundaries? She knew she needed help. She just didn't know what to do. And she needed those boundaries because what do drug addicts do? Often, they will do anything they need to do to get what? To get what? Yeah, they're going to do anything they need to do to get drugs. And I knew that about her because she knew she needed help. She just didn't know what to do. And I told her, I said, listen, 30 days. 30 days here. You can't, you can't leave. You can't go anywhere. Can I call anyone? I said, no, you can't. Um, if you want to talk to your mom, I'll have her call you. You don't need a phone. You're not texting. You're not calling. If you see, if you... If we see you with our phones, deal's off, you have to leave. Where do I go? I said, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Right? I care about you. That's why you're here. But if you break the rules, you're out. Right? You're gone. At the end of those 30 days, she began to make progress. You know why? Because finally she had some, some, some boundaries. And often we, we don't know what the boundaries are. We don't know what to do. And, and my heart goes out to her because she lived a life she would do anything. And here's the principle. We, we will also do anything we can to get the satisfaction that we want. You have desires? You have longings? You will do anything it takes to get the satisfaction you long for and you desire. With God, here's the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge with people exploring God or walking the journey with him in faith is that people actually don't think they need him. They don't have a need, right? They don't know that they need them. And so here's, here's, here's foundation number one. If you think you need God, you'll find them. 
If you believe that he will bring satisfaction and joy, you can find him. I love this principle in this scripture. I love this statement in this scripture found in the book of James. Those who draw near to God, he will draw near to. Think about that. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And, and David knew that. King David knew that God's presence was real. King David knew that God would satisfy him. King David knew that God would meet his needs. And so he makes a declaration in a time of trouble, in a time of turmoil. He says simply, God, I want you. I need you. I, I don't know where you are in your journey, but if you'd say, God, I really do believe I need you. If you do believe that. I'm not going through turmoil right now. I'm not going through any craziness at home or at work or wherever it is or with family, but I really do believe I need you. That is a heart after God. You're saying, God, I do believe I need you. I do believe it. I'm not going through turmoil. Am I, am I praying four hours a day right now? No. Am I memorizing all the Bible? No, but I really do believe I need you. But if you were in a time of turmoil right now, would you be able to say, God, I need you? One of the greatest barometers to see where someone is on their journey with God is to see what they turn to and who they turn to in a time of need. I'll often ask someone that's exploring, hey, listen, you know, I'm a pastor. You've come to me for counsel, so what do you think I'm going to tell you, right? But I'll ask the question, listen, do you believe you need help? Yeah. Do you believe God can help you? Those are simple. I want you to answer those rhetorically, not out loud. Do you believe, first question, do you believe you need help? Just in general. Pick the scenario. You say, yeah, I need help. Okay. Do you believe God can help you? If the answer to those two questions are yes, then you have an incredible opportunity right before you to seek after God like David did. David's life is in jeopardy, and he believed God would protect him. Simple as that. David could have said, as he said in other Psalms nearby 63, God, you promised to deliver me. Where are you? Deliverance has not happened yet, and he's frustrated. In your time of trouble, if you want to have a heart after God, answer the two questions. I do believe that I need help, and I do believe God can help me. No matter where you are in your journey, the opportunity before you is incredible as you journey a faith walk in God if you say yes to those two things, because God is real and God is willing to help you. But God is not a bad father. He's a good father. God is not a bad father that calls his son or daughter and says, you haven't called me recently, <laughs> right? Where are you? Why aren't you in church? Anyone ever got an email from God saying, where you been? If you do, please forward to me because I want to read it. I want to find out something about how you received that email, right? Like he just doesn't do that. God's spirit is willing. God's spirit's able. God's always near. But is God knocking on the door of every single life saying, where are you? You haven't called me recently? He's not doing that, but he is able to be found. I love this scary verse, but cool verse in the Old Testament. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. He's out there. He's real. But so many people today that you would ask, do you, do you know how to find God? They would just be confused by that question. And I love this. You know where you can find God? Not in a church building, at a middle school, right? Or a middle school. This isn't a church building, right? Not, not, at, a, not at a synagogue. 
Not at a church building down the road. Not, not at a Catholic church. Not at a Baptist church. Not at an Episcopal church. But God can be found and right, right here in the Bible. Right here in the scripture. There's also a truth that the Bible states about his spirit. His spirit is moving the earth. God can be found. He is real. But you have to say, God, I believe I need help and I believe you can help me. And so therefore, help me. The second thing you'll see in, in this passage is in David's time of turmoil, he chose to worship the Lord. You want to have a heart like David? Because it's a heart that's after God. I, I love the middle part of this psalm. It's right, not really just about the turmoil or him being in the wilderness of Judah or not really about him being king or about the wars that he was in the middle of. It's really about a man in his turmoil focusing his heart on worshiping God. As I've already stated several times, plenty of other psalms that show David's frustration, David's confusion, David's wandering, David's questioning of God. But this one, I love it. Many other psalms are about worship. Look at what he says in verse 3. Because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. If you have ever experienced and felt, and I remember feeling this for the first time when I was 18 years old, sitting in a church service, just sitting there, and there was this song, and something was happening right here, and I didn't know what was happening, and I know I've already confessed to you, I'm a crybaby, not just over chick flicks and gold medals, but like anything emotional, right? I could just feel emotion. I'm emotional. Chick flicks and gold medals, that's like weird combination, but... Maybe I should watch the Olympics and then watch something on Hallmark. I don't know, to get my emotions going. But I was sitting there when I was 18, and I felt something. I was like, I, I think that's, I think there's a stirring inside of my heart, and I experience the presence and the feeling of God for the very first time. I grew up in church, right? And I grew up listening to the stories, and I, not necessarily was I indifferent to them, but it wasn't meaningful to me. And for the first time when I was 18, it was meaningful to me. Like I felt the presence of God. Some of you could describe that in, in sitting in a church service. Some of you can describe that sitting in, in, in maybe a, a, a church experience that you've had in the past or even a life group or a small group or a Bible study or maybe just a one-on-one -on -one conversation when you're talking to someone who has faith and you're, not, you're necessarily not where they are and you can feel God's presence. You know what David knew? David knew what God's love felt like. He knew what it felt like to be loved for who he was, not for who he wasn't. David knew God's love. He knew that God was for him. He knew that God was with him. He knew what God's love felt like. And he said, even if he hadn't felt it at that moment, he said, God, because your love is better than life itself, my lips will praise you. Look at what he says in verse 4. I will bless you, meaning with my words, I will say good things about you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied. My English standard version says, as with. You could just say, the inside of my soul will be satisfied just like I had an awesome meal. Right? As with fat and rich food. He's probably really liking fat and rich food. He's in the wilderness of Judah. He's just thinking about a good meal. You ever had a really good meal? You're like, dang, that was good. You're like, give me some more. No, nah, don't give me some more. Because after the second plate, it ain't good anymore, <laughs> right? In fact, I, I visited my, um, my parents, uh, made a little surprise trip. My mom and dad are uh, in South Carolina, and they hadn't seen the boys. They weren't able to come up this summer like they originally wanted to. So we made a surprise trip to South Carolina just for a couple of days midweek. 
and um, I was on the way to Augusta, Georgia, just across the river in, uh, from where I lived uh, growing up in Aiken, South Carolina. So I crossed over the border, and I had about a 10-minute window. I had a 2 o'clock meeting, had about 10 minutes, and I drove by this barbecue place. Southern barbecue place. I was like, oh, gosh, I got 10 minutes. I think I can do this. I pulled over, and, um, <clears throat> and I got this incredibly large, large, large plate of food, and I, in seven minutes, devoured an incredible barbecue meal. And I sat there going, man, I don't want to move. I just want another plate, right? There's just this, this, this feeling of when you're really hungry and you get some really good food. And I, and I love this, this illustration. He says, my soul will be satisfied in that way. You know, the, the, the spiritual challenge and the spiritual discipline of fasting some religions will incorporate that. The Bible talks about fasting a lot. And it's an incredibly difficult but, but simple discipline. And what the discipline says is, I'm going to put away something that I long and crave for, for a portion of time to refocus my craving. It's as simple as I could put it, right? I'm going to skip lunch today. And instead of thinking about food, I'm just going to think about God. I'm going to think and focus on how I believe that he is present with me. I'm going to move my craving from food to God. And so many different practices, different ways that that looks. And some people have even more made different tangible things. Like I'm going to do a social media fast. Instead of it getting my extra time and attention, I'm going to refocus my time and attention on this. Because we have cravings. And you're going to, you're going to meet your cravings, yes? You're going to meet them some way, somehow. You're going to do it. I don't know what you're going to fill it with, but that's the challenge because we want food. And sometimes when you want food, you're like, I am so hungry. And in fact, those people that say, oh, I forgot lunch today. I think something's mentally unstable with them. <laughs> I have never and will never say, oh, I forgot to eat. Like, get a job. Like, what are you doing? What were you doing at lunch, right? You forgot? I have never forgotten to eat. In fact, when you say that to me, I will stare at you and not blink. And wonder, what is insanely wrong with you? I'm just not a breakfast person. Why not? It's good. Why not? You are missing out, right? Every time I travel, I'm like, give me a bacon, egg, and cheese. I, you know, I just, just something. I, I just, food is good, right? And we have cravings. And I don't understand your metabolic rate. If you skip meals, something's wrong with your metabolic rate. I think maybe you're burning too many calories and your brain is confused by that. You should eat and you should eat all the time, right? It's just good. He says, my soul, I am going to be satisfied. Just like fat food. I love, I love the, the Bible says fat here. I just love that. That's my favorite part. Uh, like fat food, like good, good food, not salad. Nothing's wrong with salad. But when I eat a salad, my body says, no, thank you. Give me something real, right? <laughs> Do you want lettuce on your hamburger? That's fine, as long as it's a hamburger in it. And I don't even know what turkey burgers are. No offense to that, but give me some meat, and it comes from a cow, right? Um, food is good. And he says, my soul will be satisfied with rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. I, I think part of the, the incredible, profound moment that David's having He's making a choice. David had every reason in the world to be confused and to declare that confusion to God. He had every reason to be frustrated. God, you promised me a kingship, all right. Remember when I was a little boy and defeated Goliath and all these, these this prophet named Samuel said, little boy, you're going to be king one day? 
I thought, well, that's going to be cool. Like his, none of his older brothers were chosen. You know, he was the youngest of, of eight, right? He was the youngest son, and he was chosen, not the elder, the young boy named David. He found favor with God. In that moment, David could have said, is this what you call favor? Being in this predicament? And he said, God, I'm making a choice. My lips are going to praise you all the days of my life. Just like some of you would say that I've experienced God. said, all the days of my life, I'm going to make God important because I know he loves me. All the days of my life, I will praise God. I'm not going to throw God under the bus, right? I'm not going to blame him. One day, think about this. I mean, this is just the reality, right? Some people have lost a loved one and they get angry towards God. And I get it because there's hurt and there's pain and there's confusion and, and we often will do that. I did that when I was 17 before I had that moment with God when two of my best friends died in a car accident. I'll never forget the moment when the principal came in, the principal came into the office and said, I need to see uh, in my classroom, not the office. He came into my classroom. Jason and Josh, there were two empty chairs to my left. And I, I wonder where Jason and Josh were because they rode together every day. In fact, he had a 1954 Ford pickup that we would work on on the weekends. And we got it finally moving, which was a good thing. And when he got it finally moving, uh, Josh would pick up Jason on the way to school. And we were known as the Fab Five. There were two Jasons, two Joshes, and one Will. Full bad for Will, right? He didn't, he got the short end. And we were known as the Fab Five. We grew up together, loved them. And one day, the principal walked in and said, Jason, I need to see you. And the class does what classes do when that happens when you're a junior in high school. And thankfully, my stupid days were mostly behind me. And when the principal said up until ninth grade, I need to see you, everyone knew why, because I did something stupid. But this day, I didn't do anything stupid. And he said, I need to see you. And he looked at me when I walked outside the door and said, Jason and Josh have been in a very bad accident. I cannot confirm that they died, but I can tell you that it's not good. I looked down the hallway. My mom was standing there. Your mom shouldn't be at high school, right? She should be working. And my only emotion was, no, God, no. You're sovereign and in control. The Bible says that God shapes the hearts of kings. You have the ability to shape a man or a woman's heart. You have the ability to do this, and you would allow this? No. And I went on a six-month journey of being an angry teenager. Angry. Disrespectful to my mom. It wasn't about my mom. It was really about my, the anger inside my heart. About two months after that, it was February 23rd, 1998. A few months after that, my grandfather passed away, and though he was in his 80s and there was pretty good reason that he would pass away, right? I mean, he was 80-something years old and smoked for 55 years and died of emphysema. Even if it wasn't emphysema, he's in his 80s. Like, death happens, and sometimes we don't want to come to grips with it, and I didn't want to come to grips with it. A month after that, my 21-year-old cousin died in an accident. Now, he decided to put heroin, um, liquor, and marijuana in his body in a two-hour period and got behind the vehicle and died suddenly on impact. So this is in a four-month period as a junior in high school. That was too much for this junior in high school. And my only emotion that I could feel was just anger. 
And we see these, 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 by the way, men and women who loved God felt the same way I did that day. And I took a counselor for me, going to a counselor at the end of my junior year in high school, and him saying, you feel anger, and I want to tell you, it's okay. You should be. Now, don't disrespect God, right? Don't dishonor his name. But you're angry, and that's okay. David felt the same way towards God, but yet God said, he's a man after my heart. You're like, really? I don't think so. I think God must not have read Psalm 52, right? I think God missed something because David was mad at you, God. Don't you remember that? And sometimes, and I'm encouraging you to just be dishonoring or disrespectful towards God or pump your fist at him. You got to know he's, he is good. He is sovereign. He is near, but he's higher than us, Right? His ways are not your ways. He knows things you don't know. He knows things you'll never know. And the Bible makes this incredible promise, and I had to wrestle with this as a junior in high school, that God uses all things for his good. That was preached at Jason, at Josh's, and my grandfather, and my cousin Robbie's funeral. And I didn't listen to it. I didn't want to hear that. God uses good. I know that's some churchy you say, but it took me years to come to grips with the fact that that was a reality. That God uses the brokenness of this awful world sometimes and he redeems it. I love the word redeem because he takes something that's not good and he makes it good. He takes a broken story and he makes a really good ending. You know why movies are a waste of time when you get to the end and you just kind of are left hanging? I don't care if it's a sequel. Don't leave me hanging. Tell me something good. Because we don't want to hear a story that doesn't have a good ending. Right? Some movies are predictable, like Hallmark movies. They're all about like a hot dad and a single woman, right? <laughs> you laugh because it's true. All those Christmas movies, Rachel's like, you want to watch a Hallmark movie? I'm like, I've already seen it. No, you haven't seen this one. Yes, I have. <laughs> I saw the one last night you watched. All the Christmas movies are the same. Hot dad, he lost his wife. He's hurting, but he's getting better. And yet this woman that lives in the city, you've seen it, haven't you? <laughs> you guys that are smiling. You like chick flicks too. And gold medals when people are crying, right? It's this woman that works in the city and she gets in trouble. She's got to go out to the countryside and she meets this guy. Her breath is taken away, right? We like a good ending. And those movies that don't have a good ending, they just stink, right? Because we want to be redeemed. We want God to make what's broken and make it beautiful. And the Bible says that's what he does. This is tough for me. And this is one of the things I say as a pastor. I don't like saying it because sometimes people don't want to hear it because I didn't want to hear it. When you tell someone that's hurting, you know God's going to use this. Like, yeah, that's what the last person told me. But you don't want to hear that, do you? David chose to believe it. And he chose to say, I will worship the Lord. I love verse 7. <clears throat> you have been my help. Now, that, is that past tense or future? That's past. You've been my help. I don't know about now, but you have helped me in the past. I believe you can help me in the future. I love the description at the end of verse 7. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. I believe that you're with me. Not just are you with me, God, but you're like over me. In the shadow of your wings, you've been my help. And some of you today can say, I don't know what God helping me looks like, but I, but I do know if he does help or if he will help, I'm willing. I'm willing to listen. If you're willing to say, God, help me, there's no telling what your future could look like as you Make a journey and a faith walk with a God who loves you and is real. Dr. Crow, who 
has recently passed away that counseled me in 1999. He looked at me and said, son, and when an old man says, son, you just listen. Right? Son. He said, God's with you, whether you know it or not. And he'll be patient. He's not going to slap you on the, on the back of the head and say, get with it. He's not going to pat, you know, slap you on the face and say, get over it, man. It's been a year, like stupid people do sometimes, right? When you look at someone that lost someone, you're like, man, it's been six months. Get over it. God's not going to do that. He says, as soon as you're ready, just call out to the Lord. And there's a promise in the scripture. He'll hear you. He's not going to knock on your door two seconds later, because that'd be scary, Right? But the Spirit of God who roams the earth will be with you. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You've got to call. Ain't nobody going to come to the scene unless you call them. And God's there waiting to be called. The last one is in David's time of turmoil. He trusted God to uphold him. Why would someone call out for God to uphold him? Because he's falling, right? Just simple. Not thinking about that too much. Like, he trusted that God would uphold him in his time of turmoil. Look at verse 8. My soul clings to you. Like, I need, and I'm going to cling to you. It's a choice, not just an emotion, because sometimes you, you wake up, and you're not in the mood to just cling to God, right? You're in the mood to just brush your teeth and go to work. And if you're really weird, you skip breakfast, right? That's what you're in the mood for. But he made a decision. He said, my soul clings to you. I, I, I need in here, and I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to grab on, onto you. Your right hand, I love this, it upholds me. The person in the presence of God keeps me up. And that is never going to happen unless you ask him to hold you up. Do you need a holding up? And many times you do. And the man or the woman, the boy, the girl that cries out and says, God, I want you to uphold me, God will. 9, 10, and 11, he turns towards the enemy that's after him, and he says, God, I, I trust that one day, like me, they're going to die. Th this is going to end, right? They're after me, and I pray that you'll protect me from them. They're after me, and one day they're going to die. I love verse, verse 9, they're going to go down into the depths of the earth. One day they will die. This, this is going to go in the direction of war, and people are going to die. And he believed it was his enemy. He believed that God would give him victory, and God did. Kind of a cool afternoon Google search is military victories, military, excuse me, victories by David. Or just Google something like that. It's incredible the amount of war that King David led through. And then during all that time, when you're in war, the leader's always the enemy. On both sides, right? There's not a good side and a bad side. Depending on perspective, they're both the enemies. But in his time of turmoil, he decided to seek the Lord with all of his heart. He decided to worship the Lord with all of his heart. And he decided that he would trust God to uphold him. You, like David, can have a heart like this. Not because you're perfect, not because you go to church every week. You can have a heart like David by simply saying, God, in my time of turmoil, in my time of trouble, in my time of need, I'm going to seek you. And in my time of need, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to say, God, I like what I'm going through, but I do believe you're good. That's worship. You don't have to be like singing a song to worship God. You have to have a thought in your head and a thought in your heart. 
And you just saying, you know what? I, I do believe in God. I do believe that he's good. I do believe that he's gracious. You can't have a heart like David. You, it'll never be perfect like David. It'll never be without turmoil like King David. But if your heart chooses to simply seek the Lord, worship him, and to trust that he will uphold you in your time of trouble, you know what God would say over you? He would say, a man after my own heart. There's a woman after my own heart. There's a young man, a young woman after my own heart. I know they want me. It's not perfect. It'll never be perfect. But I know that they want me. Let's pray. Father, I pray in so many ways um, a prayer that all of us need to pray. All of us should pray. All of us maybe have prayed in the past, maybe, is that, God, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. But we know that life is hard. And we know that we have a response to the hardness. And so I pray that for all of us today in this room, that we would make a choice, God. We would make a choice to say, you know what? I'm going to seek God today. And I'm going to worship him today. And I'm going to trust that he will uphold me in my time of trouble, in my time of turmoil. So God, you are able to, unlike anyone here, you are able to meet the needs of each person because they're different. You're able to, to, to reach and encourage and shape and minister each heart where it is today. So I pray that you do that. Over the next few moments, God, as we sing, may this space be a, maybe it may be a place, God, where we are seeking you right now. We don't have to wait. We can do it now. And so, Father, thank you for the promise that you hear us and that you are with us. We love you and give you all the praise that you deserve in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me as we sing this next song as, as I pray. This is just a song that creates a little space for you to pray, reflect, think. Sometimes I don't want to sing the song being sung. You know why? I want it to be sung to me. Anybody confess with that? I'm like, just sing the song. I'm not going to sing. I'm just going to let it be sung and think and reflect. Whatever it is, this is a space for you. During this time also, we are taking our weekly offering. And if you're a part of Encounter Church, this is a time where we give to God in faith because he's given to us. And we want to be a part of what God's doing, not just at Encounter Church, but in, in the world. And so we give to God a portion of our income because he's given to us. If you're a guest with us today, your gift can simply be giving us a connection card that you received. Just drop that in the basket when it comes by in just a few moments. Let's sing together.